Hello everyone, welcome to Mastermind.fm. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Martens Sulte from Mintos. He's actually one of the co-founders and probably the most public figure from Mintos. And I'll be joined with my dad, Joseph Galea, for this interview. I've been personally investing on Mintos for the past four years, and I've overall been very happy with, with the results. Uh, but obviously, I wanted to dig deeper into how the platform works, its founding story, and where Martin sees it going in the future. So this was a great opportunity for us to talk with the co-founder and actually get a lot of the details about how Mentos works. So I hope you enjoy the show. And as always, if you're enjoying the types of episodes that we're putting out, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. We appreciate the reviews because it tells us how we are doing and it gives us encouragement to keep producing the same kind of content that we're doing. Hi, Martins. Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Hi, Gene. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for joining. I've got my dad, Joseph Galea, with us today, as always. And I'd like to start off by letting you, Martins, introduce Mentos for those who are not aware of it and what it works before delving deeper into the platform. Sure, happy to. I think when, when it comes to Mentos, what we do at the end of the day is we bring a new alternative investment type to retail investors. And this investment type is loans. So basically on Mintos, retail investors, anyone starting from as small as 10 euro can invest in loans, which are issued to borrowers, both consumers and small businesses all across the globe. And in that fashion, so we've been operating already for five years and we have became the largest marketplace in Europe, according to the latest data. So we have about close to 50% of the market and we have facilitated 6 billion euros of investments in loans. Yep, that's where we stand today. Okay, so let's say we're a beginner investor and I'll pass on to my dad now who can take on that role and mm -hmm. we'll see how it works in a bit more detail. Yeah, good morning, Martins. Therefore, let's say I am a, a 64 year old, as I am actually. At the moment, I'm a Malta, I am Maltese. I have a background of finance. I, I do understand all the basics, and I'm interested in investing, you know, in something different than the usual, you know, traditional bonds or or deposits with, with banks or investments in, in shares on the stock markets. And I got intrigued when discussing with my son, Jean, about these platforms and uh, he talked to me a lot about Mintos. I understand that, as you said, you have been around for five years, which is already something. Uh, you're not, uh, you know, an inexperienced newcomer to this sector. You can start, as you said, with uh, as low as 10 euros, which I find you know, a very low entry level. Possibly you are doing this to attract more investors or not to deter anyone from, from joining. Uh, is it correct? Actually, the minimum is more related to giving an opportunity for investors to diversify. 
so that they can build a diversified portfolio when it comes to investing in loans. So on Mintos, we do provide loans with the help of lending companies. So the lending companies do originate those loans. So they basically issue a loan to the borrower. And then instead of keeping it themselves, they place it on the marketplace and it is available for investors to invest in. So today we have loans from 33 different countries, all types of loans, and having a possibility to invest in a fraction of that loan. So and when I say fraction of the loan, that means that, for instance, just to take a simple example, a loan was issued to a consumer an individual in, say, Indonesia, the loan is, say, installment-based, 1,000 euro loan. So since it's fractionalized, so that loan could be funded by even up to 100 investors, right? And this uh, ability to invest in fractions means that the investors can actually build very well-diversified portfolio, even if they invest a few hundred euros, few thousand euros of money. So our average investor actually has an outstanding balance of something like 3,000 euros uh, approximately these days. Obviously, there are people who invest less, a few hundred euros. There are people who invest millions of euros. Okay. My first concern would be Mintos. I've seen your website. Uh, it's quite well well made, I, I would say, with a lot of information. I understand that you are based in Latvia. How are you regulated? This is the first question that comes to mind, maybe, because you see many platforms and you start wondering whether they pass through a scrutiny test and on what basis do they qualify. What can you tell us about Mentos in this regard? When it comes to regulations, so it's in a way twofold which we have to look at. So first is regulation of the loan supply side or basically a regulation when it comes to serving the customers, which are borrowers, right? So on the loan supply side, each lending company, so we today, we partner with 60 plus different lending companies, and each of them do hold the necessary permissions and licenses, which they need to have in the respective country to operate, right? So for instance, issue loans in Indonesia, we have a partner lending company in Indonesia, they might be actually already a very established lender. So maybe they are already, I don't know, three, 500 people and they follow their own local regulations and they have obtained the license to actually issue loans to the borrowers. So this license, what it regulates is that the borrowers are protected. They regulate how much you can lend. It regulates all the debt income ratios, what information you have to disclose and so forth. So that's when we talk about the loan supply side, uh, how that's regulated. And then when it comes to other side of the marketplace, which is retail investors, when we look across Europe, I, I would say up till recently, there was quite a bit of regulatory uncertainty. So while we operate within the current regulatory environment, in some countries, there's less certainty about how the regulation should be applied. So what is happening in the sector as such? So there are two things. One is when it comes to our business model, so we are now in the process of uh, getting investment firm license. So that's going to be a MIFID-based regulation directive, which is much being enforced like for many, many years. And that's basically will cover Europe on the passporting basis. So that's investment firm license for us. So it's basically a typical brokerage license where we're going to offer financial instruments to, to investors. 
And then for other platforms that is bespoken regulation coming into force, which is going to be coming into force next year in October, and that relates to peer to business loans. So that's for a different business model. That's where on the platform you actually invest in small business loans or in many cases also development loans. So it's more about this peer to business side. So overall, I would say that is still quite a long way before we're going to see like very harmonized approach on regulation in in Europe when it comes to investor protection. From my research, I have noticed that uh, these platforms thrive in Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Baltic states, where you find a lot of expertise in financial matters. You speak very good English, most of you. Maybe this is a big advantage, but my question is, like many others, maybe, if I try to set up a, a platform like yours in Germany or in Italy or in France or Spain, is it more difficult than in the Baltic states? Is it because of um, less regulation in the Baltic states? It's it's hard to give uh, a definite answer because obviously we have tried to set it up where we come from. So we do come from Latvia, so we haven't tried it in detail how it would work to set up. And it's hard for me to speak about other platforms, but when it comes to our platform, it's hard to give a definite answer what it would take to build it in Germany. So because, well, we are we are not from Germany. Having said that, I would say that, sure, there are regulatory differences, but I think one of the factors which uh, may be we have to take into account that uh, you see more international platforms from smaller markets, such as Latvia, for instance, where we come from, where inherently from day one, we focus on being international. So because it's kind of paradox of small countries, so you you basically come from small countries, so you basically can build it for the platform just for uh, within that country, but this market is small, so you actually look at the international market from day one. Whereas, say, in Germany, most of the platforms are on the national level. So actually, there are quite a few big platforms in Germany, like the same Aux Money, for instance, is a is a German-based platform, but it doesn't really cater to international investors because they started in Germany and they are, I mean, the market is that big just in Germany that they don't really look for international expansion. So I would much more argue that this is, Perhaps the reason why international investors see more platforms from smaller countries, of course, there's also regulatory considerations, perhaps, but, well, it's hard to speak in detail because, well, we would have to kind of A-B test or test it in both countries to say a definite answer, like where it's easier or where it's not. Can I jump in from a different angle here? Earlier this year, we've seen some other platforms go bankrupt or turn out to be a scam basically, and most of them, if not all, came from the Baltic states. As a publisher myself, I've seen a lot of my readers kind of throw out the idea of investing with any platform that comes from that region, which I think is unfair as well to other platforms that try to do things well. But how badly do you think it has affected, the ripple effects of those companies have affected companies like yours and others that still operate within the Baltic states. And why do you think they, is it a coincidence that they all came from that area or is it because some other reason, regulation or maybe copycats seeing 
you doing well and opening their own companies what's happening i think that's a good point which which you brought the last the last point is i think that's basically the reason why there are quite a few platforms is because of identity of i would say success of us as a as a player because other players saw that there is opportunity and us uh, growing to one of the market leaders in europe perhaps gave some inspirations for copycats and then once you have a market then and it is more developing market you're going to have those scam cases so among those copycats you might have some bad apples is it specific only to latvia or the baltics i mean i don't know exactly like about all the other markets but i've definitely seen also platforms going bust or going out of business in the same sweden uh, there was a famous study or even in the uk with the fca regulated players which went out of the business so i wouldn't necessarily draw any specific conclusions with respect to the baltics i would rather say that it's it's because there were quite a few copycats were basically also those bad apples so the opportunity and uh, it is heartbreaking to see actually investors losing money on those scam cases especially since many of them could have been avoided kind of proper due diligence and so forth and also the regulation as well so it's still the developing market right so when it's developing well the regulation always well, more often than that more often than not innovation precedes regulation so first comes innovation and then the regulation catches up uh now when the regulation has caught up i would not expect actually like full blown scam cases we might see platforms kind of mismanaged or taking more risks than they should but not like full blown scam cases so there have been some changes within regulation say in latvia following these cases or was it something that was already in progress that was already in progress so we've been in contact and in close working relationship with regulator already for i would say a couple of years so i was just finding the proper setup how we can actually put our operations in a regulated environment right so regulation well there might have been obviously some effect to speed up the things but i would say that this process of putting a young market under regulation was on its way already before the scam cases. Okay. Well actually I think that eventually regulation will shift the good ones from the <laughs> from the others. I think it would be an advantage to those platforms that are working well professionally and they know exactly what they're doing. On yeah, a, on, I agree. Yeah. On a related point. So a lot of these platforms that eventually went bust seem to be run either by kids or by they didn't have any maybe offices it's just a website basically a quickly thrown up website that advertised more or less the same things that mentos and other platforms advertise but there was nothing behind it and i think it's important to give some context about mentos to any our listeners i'm seeing you in your offices there Can you tell us about like that you have actual offices how many people another important point i think is that you have raised several million euro to start off with so you started off on a strong backing and you were able to weather any storms that like what we're seeing this year actually 
us today, we are a 160 people strong team. So most of the team, we sit here in Riga, Latvia. We do have an office in Berlin, in Germany, and we do have an office in Vilnius, in Lithuania. The team is very, uh, even in Latvia, so which is rather homogeneous society, it's very internationally minded team. So we have more than 20 nationalities. So the default language is English here. It's a very, it's very kind of global mindset. And that's just when we speak about Mintus. But more importantly, we, or equally importantly, we have to talk also about the loan supply side and about those lending companies. So we put out a blog post about the lending companies. So all the lending companies, we have like 60 plus lending companies. In total, they employ about 25,000 employees. So all the loans which are put in the marketplace go through those lending companies, which should then employ 25,000 people all across the 33 countries where we have lending partners. When it comes to our financials, so we've been actually, we've, we have raised uh, capital. So up to date, we have raised a little bit of outside capital. Most of the capital actually has been, or most of the growth we have been able to support or fund by our revenue. So we've been revenue generating since day one. So the last year we closed with almost 10 million of revenue. And we are on a good pass. Well, 2020 is going to be maybe less exciting in terms of growth, but we are we have a good platform to build when it comes to 2021. And you also publish these results on the website? Yeah, so all our annual reports are available on the website, even though we are not obliged to put out them. So all, all of them are audited by Ernst & Young and... I think when we set out, so one of the key virtues which we defined is transparency, one of the key values, and that's what we try to adhere as much as possible. And well, obviously, it is. I mean, we're never going to be hundred percent kind of compliant with that, but we. This is our one of the key values, and transparency is goes a long way in building the trust which is, of course, the key cornerstone when you talk about finances and especially about investments. Okay, and one last question before I move back to my dad. You mentioned loan originators in 33 countries. You mentioned also, say, Indonesia. How? What's your expertise in onboarding companies from so far or so, so diverse such diverse markets. How's the process when a loan originator wants to come on the Mintos platform? Can you talk us through that? Mm, of course. So uh, perhaps it would uh, would help to give a background on how we started. So we started with a loan originator, which was basically our own loan originator. So we were originating the loans ourselves here in Latvia. Then we uh, slowly branched out in the business model where we are. What we are doing now is basically having other lending companies to join the marketplace. So we started out with vetting the lending companies which are here in the region, in the Baltics. Then we merged out or branched out in Central uh, Eastern Europe, then Europe, then other more far continent, well, more far geographies. Like in Latin America, we have lending companies in, in, in Africa and in Southeast Asia and Central Asia. Uh, obviously, we have learned a ton in the five years we operate. So in the early days when it was only me and four developers, well, it was very, very kind of simple process, even though I have a lot of background and other, other Martin co-founder who had spent like 10 years with Eston Young, myself, six years in investment banking. So we, 
we had background in kind of uh, vetting those companies and letting them to join Mintos. Uh, but to date, has obviously developed uh, a very robust process. So we have our partnership team, which establishes the relationship with the lending company. We do have the risk team, the ML team, the legal team. So that goes a lot of effort in initial due diligence and then thereafter in monitoring the the lending companies and how they issue loans and what they bring to the to the marketplace. And then on top of that, as we grow and especially as we establish ourselves in the market, so what is helpful is obviously reference checks within the market and just kind of getting additional data points also from other players in the market. So it's very robust process these days. Well, before pandemic, it definitely involved us traveling to to all the countries uh, which we have present on the on the marketplace, spending time there, and then and kind of maintaining this contact. Well, actually, Martins, from what you have been saying and from what I've seen in your website, your reach is impressive across the globe. Sixty three countries you mentioned. I presume that it's a mix of lenders and borrowers, maybe 63 countries that you, that you reach. And was it, was it 33 or 63? 33. Lending companies come from 33. And then bar investors, predominantly from Western Europe, but if you count all the countries, then it's actually 90 countries, 90 countries. Okay. Which is, this is quite impressive, actually. And to what do you attribute such a wide reach? Is it because use different languages? Do you offer different currencies? I would, at uh, say, I would attribute it to the product. So the, the thing, what, what we offer, because when it comes to, on both sides, actually, so when it comes to investor side, what we offer is basically unparalleled diversification opportunities. So people can come on Mintos, they can invest in loan, which is originated in, I know Vietnam in a loan in South Africa and a loan in Mexico or in a loan in Poland. So and build a very diverse portfolio. So that's kind of very big value what we bring to the table for retail investors. And then on the opposite side, for the lending companies, we serve as additional funding source. So for them, when they connect to Mintus, they get access to today. We have three hundred forty thousand investors. So those lending companies get access to the 340,000 retail investors from day one. So they get a rather a liquid funding source. So I would attribute it to first and foremost to, to the product or to the business model that we have in place, which have allowed us to scale significantly on both sides. And then on uh, execution, which is going to involve different languages. So we speak, our support speaks in 10 different languages. The website is, I think, in like six or seven different languages. We do have currencies we facilitate. It's predominantly Europe, but in general, we uh, facilitate 10 different currencies. Building out the user experience, keeping it simple, yet kind of sufficient information for the investors to make decisions. So it's been execution, of course, a big part of that as well. Okay. With regards to interest. The average um, is around 10%, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, the rate of interest depends on the level of risk to which the loan is exposed. How do you go about it um, in negotiating the interest rate with these lending companies? It's not uh, us negotiating, so it's a market. We leave it to the market, so market defines the the interest rate at which the loans are sold by the lending companies to 
to investors or basically at which rates investors can invest in, in those loans. It's definitely what we have to emphasize, especially uh, now when we saw in the pandemic, is we have to emphasize that higher interest rate obviously comes with a higher risk. So when we talk about double-digit uh, returns, there are also proportionally more risk than if you would talk about uh, single-digit uh, returns. How the interest rate is, is, is kind of established or at what interest rate the investors invest, it's basically the lending companies decide at what interest rate they, they would want to place the loans in the marketplace and then investors can make decisions if they like it or not. And of course, there are also demand and supply involved. If there is more demand and investors see that the or the lending company sees that the, actually those interest rates investors are investing quite a bit, they might push it down the, the interest rate. A bit and basically the, the market is self-adjusting. All else being equal, the higher the risk, the higher the return. Or likewise, the higher the return, the higher the risk. But when you go to the market, how do you decide which ones to take on the platform and the others that you discard? How we look at it, it's not necessarily about interest rate in in, in isolation. And we look at that the loans which were are sold on the Mintos are sold at the uh, at the interest rate which is representative of the underlying risk. So what it means, for instance, a loan which is originated by by I mean say uh, smaller loan originator in a country which which is more risky country to the borrower segment, which is more risky borrower segment. So you could think of say. I know payday loan in the same Indonesia, for instance, right? So it's going to be more risky than the same type of loan in Finland because of the country difference and all this stuff. So you would expect that that loan is carrying higher interest rate than the loan which is is coming from the Finland. So what we look at is more on those unit economics. So does it represent the risk well enough of of, uh, of the underlying asset? So it would make sense, uh, for instance, that the I know payday type of loan in Indonesia is sold at three uh, percent interest rate on Minto, so we would not allow that um, because basically then investors would look at the uh, expected negative uh, return because the interest rate three percent, you're going to have some default over the years, so they might end up with negative return. So there are some limits, but we uh, mostly actually leave it to the market to decide uh, on the exact kind of interest rate. Okay, therefore, you offer different levels of, of risk and different levels of interest. Therefore, when I get interested in investing with Mintos, do you carry out an assessment on me as to my risk appetite, whether I'm a conservative one or whether I'm a balanced one or high risk taker? This is what we are uh, moving towards, and this is going to be part of the us becoming uh, licensed and fully reg- well working in fully regulated environment as an investment firm. So we're going to carry out, uh, and actually already starting from November this year. So we're going to start uh, doing what is called in in Europe, it's called like suitability and appropriateness test. So basically, in that test, so you exactly ask the questions which which you mentioned, is uh, so that we can determine is the product which you offer is suitable to the investor or it might not be. Because as at the end of the day, well, the loan as an investment product and it is alternative investment. So as you mentioned in the in the introduction, so when you look at investments, you're going to have your traditional investments like stocks, bonds. Cash is also in a way kind of investment, and then you have a whole separate section of alternative investments. And then within the alternative investments, you're going to have hedge funds, you're going to have venture capital if you can access it, maybe private equity, maybe real estate, 
crypto, maybe you name it. So it's like alternative investment space. And we work within this alternative investment space. So as a loan might not be suitable as an alternative investment to all investors. So and then the suitability and appropriateness test come into the play. Okay. And uh, you also state that most of the loans come with a buyback guarantee. How does Mm -hmm. that work? So the Bible guarantee is, uh, and here again, so uh, when we say guarantee, we have to emphasize that, well, guarantee means that uh, there's obligation. We, there's no things in life are guaranteed, as they say, except taxes and debts, right? So guarantee is only as good as, as a guarantor, right? So uh, Bible guarantee works in a way that the loans which are not performing, so for instance, the borrower, we tend to come back to Indonesia, let's continue to that. So the borrower in Indonesia is not able to service the loan. And that happens all the time in, in lending. So some of the borrowers won't be able to pay back the loan. The borrower is not able to pay back the loan. And then the lending company provides what we have named by the guarantee. They can buy back this loan from investor. So basically, they buy back the non-performing loans. So this if you go into kind of finance terms, so this would be called credit enhancement. So basically, that's uh, additional well guarantee or additional kind of enhancement that basically reduces the risk to investor with each specific default of the borrower. But maybe possibly there is no fund backing the guarantee, right? Therefore, it's an yeah. undertaking by the borrowing companies that they would do their best to to buy back your non-performing loan. I don't think that they have a fund that guarantees, you know, 100%, as you said, uh, these loans, because otherwise you wouldn't have any defaults at all. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we've seen in the the pandemic. So in 2020, we saw that as a non-performing loans increased for some of the lending companies, they were not able to honor this buyback. So they were not able to actually buy back the loans. And that's when we have to go in, we have to restructure and we have to work on the recovery. So that's uh, what is happening. Well, the buyback itself is basically integrated within the business model in a way because the lending companies, they are issuing loans at a higher interest rate to the borrower than they place the loans on interest. So, for uh, short-term loans, the difference could be, and small ticket loans, the difference could be significant, but then also the cost base we have to take into account. But basically what I'm trying to say is that there's interest rate spreads between what they issue to the borrowers and then what is placed on the Minta. So the buyback is uh, covered by this interest rate spread from the loans which are performing. So that's how it uh, would work under regular circumstances. When the crisis hit, then that definitely can can go the way you described. Yeah, mentioning the pandemic, there's a hot topic at the moment, of course, on investments, because people are scared now. Should I risk at this point in time? On the other hand, should I leave my funds idle, learning no interest? I have noticed from your website, and you are very transparent about it, that uh, the amount of the loans uh, that you have at the moment has gone a little bit down and then it leveled out during the pandemic. Possibly investors at the moment are biding time to see what happens, to see whether your other, the existing loans are performing. I have seen some comments on your blog, again, very transparent. Some people are obviously a bit concerned 
and John mentioned this before. What level of comfort do you give and how do you plan to lure back uh, investors who are at the moment a bit hesitant or dragging their feet on whether to invest or not? I think when it comes to, to investing, well, it's always, uh, I think, as I said, retail investors are emotional. So, and I think it's the emotions which are in, out there in financial markets, which drive the financial markets. And the two emotions usually is greed and fear. And when the upcycle is going up, everybody is kind of driven all the market by, by greed. And then once the market is turning down, then it's a fear. And both of them are not very rational choices. Right. So now if you would take a rational view, so perhaps uh, you could argue that the loans which are now present on the marketplace have already adapted to the crisis. So all the weaker offering is already identified. So does it mean that investors are going to come back and invest today? Well, it's perhaps going to take some time, right? Because now when people are having uh, concerns about, well, to start with, about the health, then about employment, or then about where the economy is going, it's understandable that there might be some doubts do you want to invest or not, right? So it will take some time, but having said that, so how we look at the thing, so we, we continue operating and we continue, continue providing great opportunities to investors. Can we convince them on such fundamental things that concerns about the health are going to be off the table, economy going to turn back? like super fast, not, not really. So we can only uh, work within our circle of control. Have the interest rates gone up as a result? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we definitely see that they have uh, gone up. Yeah, for sure. Therefore, there is an opportunity for the risk takers, no? Exactly. And that's what we saw also. Well, we do run also the secondary market. So when the pandemic struck and the March hit and everybody was under shock, We've seen many investors actually buying up loans at uh, rather steep discounts on the market and profiting greatly, greatly in that time. So as always, so whenever there's downturn, there's also opportunities. So uh, that goes with, uh, with any investment. So of course, understandable that people want to sit out and wait for the crisis to turn, kind of to, to turn to the end. But then every month you are not investing, you are also leaving your cash idle and not earning anything so uh, there's no no easy answer to, to this i guess okay with regards to know your client procedures how cumbersome is is it to uh, first time you know i'm interested in joining mentos to undergo the know your client procedures it would be the same and standard approach which you will have on on european level so we do have to follow Latvian regulation, which is in line with the European directive when it comes to anti-money laundering and know your client. So you would expect the same questions or the same information you have to provide as you would with, uh, with any other subject of the law. I would say that the, the challenge a bit for us is, and that's where, where maybe some investors see that they might have to submit a bit more questions, is that as opposed to the banks where the clients have a relationship with, the banks see all the history, all the bank accounts, and they see the money movements, right? So if you receive the salary, they can see from whom and well, uh, and the cadence of it. 
if you received some money from sale of some property, you can see it in the bank account statements. But as us, we don't have this information. So we have to ask this information from investors to provide so that we can make sure that we can verify source of funds and AML and knowing your client these days are very strict regulations. And for the reason, they are maybe perhaps more strict even here in the Baltics, but it's, it's for the benefit of the whole system that money is traceable and we can't prove source of funds. And if we do not, then, well, we are at risk of receiving huge fines and even criminal liability and so forth. Well, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> do you provide a secondary market? Let's say I invest and I don't know the, the term of the loans. Maybe you can explain that as well. And then if I want to exit earlier than anticipated, or earlier than the term of the loan, is there a secondary market available? Yes, we do run a secondary market. A uh, secondary market is where investors can sell their loan parts to other investors if they are, if they want to seek more immediate liquidity, or maybe at times they see that they have better performing loans which they want to sell with a premium, and there are buyers who want to buy with a premium. So we do run a secondary market. However, when we look at investments, so and we also explain it to investors that when they buy a loan on the primary market, which basically when they make the initial investment, they should be ready that they have to hold the investment until the end of maturity. So, and the maturities of the loans which we have are even from just a couple of weeks. For instance, in, in Africa, there are payroll type of loans which runs just a couple of weeks, or there are small ticket loans in, in other countries up to a few years even five, six years when it comes to car loans in the Baltics, for instance. So there's a wide offering again when it comes to maturity. So investors can diversify and then they should be ready to hold it until maturity because, of course, the secondary market, while it is there, nobody can guarantee that there's going to be buyer of that loan. But from what we've seen, the liquidity is, is very good on the secondary market. I think one of the tests which we've seen is one of our investors actually tested. They tried to sell, tried to liquidate 1 million euro of uh, investment and they managed to liquidate, I think, 85 or 90% within 24 hours. So that just speaks of the liquidity which you get on the secondary market. I actually spoke to him and we had him on the podcast a few months ago, well, before the COVID situation hit. And we also spoke about this test that we, we had done. So that was very interesting. As regards to the the recovery, the funds in recovery, so I see a lot of negative feedback and comments both on the Mentos blog and on my own blog about the funds that are in recovery. I've been affected myself with the Eurocent, one of the earlier loan originators that failed. So I'd like some feedback from you. Of first, first of all, I think as an investor. It is to be expected that some loan originators will fail and that's a fact of lending, no? And I think some investors kind of think they're going to invest, get a great rate with no risk. And then when small thing happens and they are all up in arms and Mentos is rubbish, all the other P2P platforms are a scam and so on. So there's an extreme reaction, which I think is unwarranted. But let's say that there are people right now who say that they have 50-60% of their loan portfolio and pending recovery. Is this something that's 
you're seeing quite a bit now that we have we're in this crisis or is it a one-off that maybe that particular investor went for very risky loans and once they're in recovery what hope is there for investors actually as we speak we are now holding the other team members are talking the holding the ask me to sentencing session specifically on recovery so mm -hmm. anyone who's uh, listening to this podcast and want to learn more about our recovery process in detail and about specific cases, yeah, I definitely great. suggest to, to view that session on YouTube afterwards when we when we post it. On recoveries, exactly as you say, and uh, there's always going to be risk involved, especially when you talk with about double-digit returns. So, I mean, the risk is involved even if you think, sure, we should not compare investment product to savings product such as deposit, but even with deposit, if you have more than 100,000, well, in most of uh, countries, more than 100,000 euros in the bank, you still have some risk, even if it's 0.5% uh, uh, above 100,000 euros, 100, euros, you're going to have some risk. So any return is going to carry some risk. So when you talk about uh, double-digit returns, the risk is going to be higher than you talk about single-digit super low returns. It is very hard to, to assess the the asset class in a short period of time. So when we talk about asset class such as loans, which is a rather young asset class, especially when it comes to uh, retail investors, they were not able to access this asset class before. It's very hard to talk about specific net returns in a short period of time. So you can see the viability only over a few business cycles or at least one business cycle. So we have to look at the the long term, what is the net return afterwards? So through those times, you're going to have ups and downs. So I think before 2020, we barely had any issue case. And that's maybe and most likely fed into investor minds when they thought that, well, there is double digit return and no risk whatsoever because there was no issue cases uh, before. And then when the issue cases come and there are funds in recovery, Sure, people are going to get emotional, and we understand for that. But well, that is part of investing at the end of the day. Of course, one of our focuses to, and the key focus today, is to work on recoveries as much as possible and to recover as much as possible. But we know that we're not going to be able to recover everything. But we have to put everything into the context. So just to put in context, when it comes to Mintos. So before the peak we had in February, we had a portfolio of something like 600 million euro of portfolio of total loans funded. Of that, we have now in recoveries about 100 million euros, of which we're going to recover 40%, for instance. So that leaves that there's capital at loss is like 60 million. If you take this 60 million and divide by 600 million, so you're talking about 10% capital at loss. So that means that fully diversified investors, somebody who had very good diversification would actually have at risk 100 euros out of each thousand euros invested. Is it a good result or not when the major economic crisis hit? Well, each investor has to kind of answer that question themselves. If we put it together with the five years before when investors were earning double digit returns of like 12, 13, and even 15%, then the net result, what you come down to is still double-digit returns, like 10%, 11%, yeah. and so forth. Many of the investors, unfortunately, were not diversified. Uh, so they actually overextended on specific countries or on specific lending companies. And then you're going to have those investors which, unfortunately, hold a rather bigger chunk of their money at risk. But then you, because it has to cancel out, if the average is 10%, 
then and some are holding like 50%, which is recovery. We also see investors which actually were very good in selecting the loans they invest in and they have barely any funds in recovery. I would argue that for any ordinary investor or regular investor, the, the best strategy is to diversify. It's the same as in the stock market. So you have to diversify unless you have superior information. But then the question is, do you really have superior information? So when it comes to Mintos, well, do you have the superior information to know that, I don't know, there's going to be a country risk in Kosovo? Do you have a superior information that there's going to be war in Armenia, which is now affecting some of the lending companies? So those are the good questions you can ask. Well, maybe you have superior information, but don't, in most often they're not, perhaps as investors don't have the superior information. So actually, this is what uh, we have said from day one, well, we have to diversify. And you have to diversify not only within the Mintos, not only within the loans, but also among the asset classes. So we've seen investors who have, I don't know, investable assets of, I don't know, 50,000 euros, and they put 40,000 of that in loans. It's not, perhaps, for most of investors, if not all, it's not a good strategy. So those 50,000, you might want to put a bunch of it in stocks, a bunch of it in bonds, keep some of cash, Invest in real estate and yes, and have also loans, but well, putting 80% of your investable assets in loans and not diversifying them within the space is perhaps not a very good strategy. And that's unfortunately it happens and it will happen. So we have to work on obviously educating investors, but that doesn't uh, change the thing that we have to work on recoveries. So we, our focus is on the recoveries. We do our best to recover. And as I said, the best for like specific cases is to refer to the to the session uh, on recoveries, which we uh, gonna post. And to 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 conclude is well, the recovery is gonna take time. So that's also what we have to realize. Yeah. Uh, also on this point that you mentioned of diversification, one thing I argue with a lot of my readers is, or people involved with P2P in general is that I see. So many people put like an inordinate amount of effort because there's a lot of parameters to play with. They spend so much time on platforms tweaking and blaming the platform and commenting on other blog posts and getting into Telegram arguments when in reality the amount invested means that what they will get in return is really low and not worth the investment of all that time and energy they put in. So when people ask me very detailed questions, it's very typical that I tell them, listen, I haven't looked into those specific loan types in Indonesia. I've just set up my auto invest. I've left it running for four years. And all I can tell you is I have the Eurocent loans, which are in recovery. In my mind, I wrote them off. Maybe they'll never get them back, but I'm still getting the double digit returns. I'm still in profit. I'm not worried uh, because the net return is still there and I literally don't have to do anything apart from check maybe once a month how things are doing. And I think most investors work too much on these kinds of things when in comparison to what they invested and what they will get in return. Of course, uh, and we are happy to see those pro and very power users to, to to use them, but then of course it comes down to the preferences, well, where people want to spend time and how they actually spend time and uh, with res- relative to return. I think when it comes to any investment, it's I kind of would compare it to the stock market. So you, also in stock market, you can work as hard as you want and beat the market, 
but then the average return will be the market return. Yes, some investors are going to beat the market, some won't, but as an average investor, so the best is just to actually put an ETF and forget. It's fully diversified. You know that over, what, 60, 70 years, it's been, I think, average S&P has been, what, like 7%? And you know it's going to be 7%. Maybe it's not going to be 7% uh, in 2020. Well, it's most likely if you start today and put all your money today, I'm not going to go in stocks, but well, most likely it is uh, kind of a hype there and its evaluations are too high. But overall, well, uh, there's going to be dips and uh, and so forth. But overall, you know that over long term, you're going to earn a return. And the same I would uh, see uh, where the market going to go in a much longer term, though, when it comes to the asset class and the alternative investment type we bring to the table. It's loans and we're going to know that, yeah, well, there's going to be more risky offering. There's going to be less risk offering. But at the end of the day, you have to trust the market and the asset class. Yes, well, uh, there are going to be people who think that they can be the market. Some will be the market. We see also in the stock market, many people will be the market. But many, many, many more won't be the markets. So I would agree on that, that it's more about trusting the asset class. And as an asset class, well, lending has been around for like forever. So an alternative lending has been around also for quite some time. So of course, it has not been accessible to retail investors so far. Can you talk some more about this topic? Because I see a lot of people assuming that P2P lending, especially in Europe, is something new. And maybe they see it as a as a very temporary thing that will eventually fail. But they don't realize that it's been done in other countries and other forms. So I'd love to know more about the history of lending and yeah it actually works over decades or hundreds of years i don't know how how big the time span is and maybe we're not talking specifically about web platforms that were available to everyone but the concept of lending in general alternative lending yeah i think how we look at that so it's if you take the all lending sector so uh, if you start like with all lending in general then you uh, would divide it in bank lending and then in alternative lending. So bank lending these days usually going to be everything about mortgages, about blue chip companies. Sure, also consumer lending, especially when it comes to credit cards and also installment based loans. So that's basically uh, bank lending. And then alternative lending is everything out of outside of the bank lending. Overall, in the world, we see the trend that the alternative lending is actually eating up into the bank lending. So uh, with even big companies, I don't know, even if you look at the, I mean, big tech companies, the same Amazon is actually one of the biggest lenders for small business loans because they lend money to the Americans on the site, right? So there's a lot of alternative lending uh, happening. And then what perhaps you refer to is this P2P lending, and we are not P2P lender per se. I mean, our market is not P2P market because none of our lending partners is really P2P lenders. So they are your usual alternative lender, balance sheet lender, online lender, direct lender, many different ways how they are called across the world, but they are alternative lenders. And P2P lender lending is just a small part of the whole alternative lending. So the alternative lending is much broader than that. And that is our market today. So the whole alternative lending space. Sure, we have a subset of that. We focus on on, on kind of consumer loans. We have less of a small business loans. We might have focus on kind of uh, higher yielding and higher risk loans. 
Um, but the market as such is is very is much much bigger than just the P2P uh, lenders, and that's a, I think a common misconception that uh, people think that P2P lending has been around only that long and it's been short period of time. But alternative lending has been around for decades, if not more. So if you look at the same, I know in the U.S., it's been around from uh, well, it's been around for many many decades. I, I don't know by heart, but it definitely has been around by many many decades. So the thing is that those loans, well, what makes a P2P lender is that the loan is funded by retail investor, and then all of a sudden it becomes P2P loan. But from the borrower's perspective, it doesn't matter. I mean, they don't care how the loan is funded. So as a borrower, they care that they get the, the money. So in that respect, alternative lending is much bigger than than just P2P lending. And also on Mintos, so if you look on Mintos, so we have uh, lending companies which have been lending for 20 plus years. So they've been around through at least one crisis, if not two today. Okay, coming back to the new investor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Therefore, if I'm interested to join, let's say I put in 5,000 euros and I will ask you, but now with the pandemic, have you reduced the high return and high risk loans? Uh, or or you are still adopting the previous strategy of a balance, you know, low, middle, and high. Have you reduced the high or, or, or not? You're still going on as before. So what we are working in our vision going forward is to offer a broad offering of loans. Somebody who comes and they want to take less risk and they are satisfied with lower return than something in, in between and then higher risk, higher return. So... I would say that now it's more about kind of mid-risk to higher risk and very little uh, low-risk offering which we have. And we had already, before pandemic hit, we had already initiated working on more bringing the loan supply, which is lower risk and lower uh, yielding. But then the pandemic hit, so we refocused on working with the current partners which we have. So working with them, sorting out the challenge they might face and so forth. Now when we are getting back to uh, bringing new loan supply to the market. Yeah, well, we are working on this lower return and lower yielding, lower yielding and lower risk loans, which we are bringing to the market. Which should render lower defaults, lower rate of defaults, right? Yeah, it's so lower risk, lower default, but also lower return. And that's, that's I think, what also we saw previously when we tried to introduce such type of loans, there wasn't that much uptake from investors. So investors were looking that Hey, there's 8% mortgage loan with a good loan to value in a good country, in an established country and like in a big city, say in Prague. And then there is loan at uh, 15% in, I know, in, in Southeast Asia to uh, unsecured loan to, to consumer. And they think that it's the same. I mean, why should I buy 8% if I have 15%? Of course, 15% is better, but well, 15% comes with more risks and, now in, uh, in 2020, we saw that many of those risks actually materialized. Okay, therefore, would you suggest that, let's say with 5,000 euros, 10,000 euros, I would um, ask you to manage the funds for me like a discretionary fund manager? It's like an auto-invest situation, maybe? Would we agree to do that? I don't know. Would you offer that service? Today, today we don't offer, so and that's why also we don't give any investment advice. So we are not a regulated investment firm yet. 
However, early next year, we uh, expect to receive the investment firm license, which, among other things, will allow us also to give you investment advice. And that's also when we can uh, use more discretion on behalf of investors if they want to. So we will look into that if, if there's uptake from investors where they basically come and say, hey, well, yeah, this is what I want to invest. These are my targets. These are my goals. I'm at this stage of life. This is my situation. So what would be your suggestion? And then we can tailor the portfolio uh, for investors. Just on this topic, perhaps we can talk about the strategies, though, because those are ready-made strategies that someone can invest, say, the 5,000 euro in. So you can do a custom strategy, which sometimes we refer to it as the auto-invest, or as there's the Minta strategies. Yes, today we provide Minta strategies. Those strategies, today we have three strategies. One is conservative, the other one is diversified, and the other one is high-yield strategy. Those strategies are in a way predefined auto invest, if you will. So it's investors know very well what type of parameters are set there and where the where the money gonna be invested. And we don't have any discretion on that. So it's fully kind of on on, on the investor side to, to to select one or the other strategy and then also the parameters which are set, we don't have discretion to change them. So uh, that's what we offer today. Going forward, we once we become an investment firm uh, we might add a few which are more discretionary uh, investments where discretionary strategies where we are doing active portfolio rebalancing using our discretion to should we invest in this these loans for this particular investor or maybe in these loans for this particular investor. So that would be a different product than what we offer today. With regards to the mechanics of interest accruing, how does it work and how frequently is it paid? So investors are buying a loan. So what what is what they get is basically that the borrower owes money to investors. So all the payments are subject to the payment schedule. So if the borrower has a payment schedule that they pay biweekly, then also investors gonna receive whenever the borrower makes a repayment. That payment is made to the lending company, which channels it to us, and then we distribute among investors, and that's fully automated. So investors basically will receive the payments according to the payment schedule which borrowers have, where, as in real life, of course, you're going to have grace periods, you're going to have borrowers which are late with their payments, and so forth. So it has to be taken into account that uh, having a payment schedule doesn't mean that the money flows on exact date each and every time. So there's going to be a usual uh, part of life is, uh, well, usual things in life. So some borrowers might be late here and there. Some some won't be able to service the loan. Yeah, what was your experience in recent months with regards to suspensions of interest payments? And uh, have there been suspensions and resumptions of, of interest payments? When you say uh, suspensions and resumptions of interest payments, what, what, what do you mean by that? Therefore, if there is a loan, a one-year loan or two-year loan, have you experienced some suspension in interest payments, you know, if they are made every month? And notices of suspension, say, for six months. And have there been any resumptions of, of payments, actually seeing companies recovering and starting to repay uh, the, the interest again? So what we what we definitely saw is that when the pandemic hit, 
many countries actually introduced moratoriums. So that meant that borrowers could legally not pay uh, the loans and not make the uh, repayments. So that's what we saw. So that's one part. And then the other part, what we also saw is that the, as a borrower, they actually do come to the lending company and they say, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pay you back this month because, I don't know, I lost a job. But can we make extension or reschedule the, the loan and restructure so that I come back after I don't know six months and pay you back because I expect that I'm going to get a job after six months? So we definitely saw also those which we would call extensions when actually lending companies do extend the loans uh, to the borrowers because they understand that uh, there's well an easy way would be just to say, no, you have to pay back today to the borrower. But well, if the borrower cannot, you basically end up with a bad debtor and it's no good for anyone, right? So lending companies rather extend the loan, they try to solve the situation and restructure. So we definitely saw those. When it comes to Mintos, and there are specifics to Mintos, is, uh, which we also covered a little bit, is those buyback guarantee and buying back the non-performing loans. And that's where uh, the lending company ability comes into the play, can be actually provide this guarantee and honor that. So we definitely saw a few cases where the lending companies were not able to, to honor this buyback and they were not able to actually buy back those non-performing loans. And that's where we end up in, in restructurings in, and in, in funds in recovery. One last question from my side. With regards tax, is there any withholding tax in Latvia? If, say I'm from Malta or from Spain or England or whatever. I invest uh, on your platform. I earn interest. I know that you treat tax on your website as well. I think this is quite important. But is there any withholding tax in Latvia on interest that would come to me, for example, as an investor? Uh, no, we pay uh, or Basically, it would be tech, more technically precise to say that the lending company transfers gross interest. So it's gross interest. So and then the investors uh, receive gross and they have to declare tax uh, themselves in their respective country where they are tax uh, residents. So because they have so many different investors from many different countries, so the treatment can be different for uh, different investors. Yeah, but Latvia itself does not uh, withhold no, any, any tax. No, okay. it's, it's gross. No, it's gross. Okay, Martin, from my side, thank you very much. It has been a very interesting and detailed discussion. And I hope that our listeners, especially ones like me who are my age, beginners on, on this kind of lending, found it very interesting. And I pass on back to John. From my end, I had one last question. The rise of crypto lenders and lending and borrowing which is very popular at the moment do you have any plans to enter the crypto space or is it something that you consider different from what your core competencies are we don't have plans on crypto i mean if we i mean already introducing loans as an alternative investment type is a big endeavor and well we have to if it takes us quite a bit of effort to explain alternative lending, what it means to actually receive loan from somebody else than the bank, how this all works. That's already quite an effort to do that. And well, to put crypto on top of that would be a bit too pre premature. So I do think that crypto definitely carries its 
well, there, there might be a good adoption of it. So far, it's been very niche market. It's not in our plans to do anything related to crypto in, in the immediate or actually medium future. So when it comes more mainstream, if it comes, happy to to look into that. But at uh, this moment, I think we have our hands full already explaining what we do, which is which has been around already for quite some time, right? So crypto is perhaps for other companies to deal with. Okay, so thank you very much, Martins. I don't know if you had anything else from your end to add. Thank you guys for, for having me. So the only thing which uh, perhaps I would uh, end with is uh, what we touched here and there during the conversation is diversification. I think when it comes to investing, two things actually. When it comes to investing, it's like nothing beats diversification for most of the investors. And investing is long term. So you have to really look into the long term when you invest. So And the loans as an alternative investment type is, is no different. So there's no short term gains to be made quickly. So it's a, it's a long term play and it's a diversified play. So and trust the asset class and then diversify not only within the asset class, but among other asset classes as well. And higher return comes with a higher risk. I think this is what we have to remind all over and over again. Well, thank you again. And congratulations on all the work you've done so far. Uh, as an investor myself, I think Mentos has been the best platform for me as well as an investor. So I've been enjoying the past four years as an investor. I am really looking forward to the end of the COVID crisis in general for the sake of not only Mentos, but all investing in general. And I'm also looking forward to the new products that you'll be uh, coming up with in the next few months, I guess. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.